May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's a Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the tomb. It's not the Sabbath day. It's not Saturday. It's not Passover. It's not any holy day. It's just another start to another week. It's a Sunday. Nothing important ever happened on a Sunday. Still feels like that sometimes. We wake up, take our time adjusting to time, making its imprint on us. We saunter out our doors. We make it to church, our minds distracted by countless things. The Marys feel that too, surely. Grief, pain, and fear, all those things they can distract from what's going on. But really, the strange new world of the Bible doesn't give us much to work with on Easter Sunday. We don't learn of their early morning conversations. We don't hear about the birds chirping in the trees. We don't even hear about the dew on the roses. None of it. All we know is they arrive at the tomb and there's an earthquake. Some say the whole cosmos shook in that moment. The stone covering up Jesus' tomb, covering up his dead and forsaken body is rolled away. It's pretty strange. Gets stranger. There's an angel sitting on top of the stone. He looks like lightning. His clothes are white like snow. The guards posted at the tomb are so shocked at the sight, they fall over like dead men. And the angel speaks to the Marys. It's okay. You don't need to be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He is risen. He ain't here. Come, you can look in the tomb. He's gone. Go, tell all the disciples he is risen. And he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. And the women, they leave quickly with fear and joy, running to tell the disciples Easter. Out of death, life. It's no wonder they leave with fear and with joy. It means that everything they think they know to be true is called into question. The rules of life and death no longer apply. God has made a way where there was no way Easter changes everything. For centuries, this story has captivated the hearts and minds of the people called church. Were it not for this day, the story of the empty tomb, none of us would be here. Jesus just would have been one of many crucified by the powers that be. Just another body tossed away in a tomb. But there are three words that has made all the difference. He is risen. Notice it's the present tense. It's not he was raised or he will be raised. He is risen. The whole story is told from the present tense. The strange new world of the Bible is opened and we are standing there in the graveyard turned into a garden. We witness the shock of this angel sitting on top of the stone by the tomb. We run with the women. For terror and amazement has seized our hearts. We have a message and that message is this. He is risen. And yet it's not just that. He is risen and he is going on ahead of us to Galilee. Here's my Easter question. Why Galilee? Have you ever wondered why on Easter Jesus returns to Galilee? I mean, good on Jesus. He's got some manners. He's raised from the dead. And he goes home. But Galilee was an out of the way sort of place. Forgotten. Its only claim to fame is that Jesus did his work there. Even so, when he was doing his work there, he was constantly talking about having his eyes set on the big show, Jerusalem. All the Gospels tell these stories of Jesus. We love to hear the healings, the miracles, the 
parables, the prayers, all this stuff. And yet, all the Gospels sharpen as Jesus makes his way into the holy city. They sharpen on Palm Sunday. Jerusalem is where Jesus is betrayed. It's where he's beaten. It's where he's left to die on the cross. Jerusalem's the place to be. It's where all the movers and the shakers are hanging out. It's where those who believe unbelievable things were waiting for the Messiah. Which makes the detail of Jesus' Galilean reunion so strange. I mean, it's Easter. The Son of God is no longer held captive by the tyranny of death. He is risen and he leaves from Jerusalem. And he goes to Galilee. One might hope that Jesus would have known what he should have done on Easter. That he would be smart enough to rise from the grave and go straight up to Pontius Pilate and say, Remember when you asked what is truth? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> One might hope that Jesus would rise from the grave and storm into Herod's inner court to rip him a new one. Or maybe, that at the very least, Jesus would have gotten together a, a band of rogues, some revolutionaries, to overturn the powers and the principalities in Jerusalem. But no, instead, Jesus goes back to Galilee. Nobody special lives in Galilee. It's populated by shepherds and fishermen and farmers. The Galilean people, they hold no power, no prestige. The only notable thing about Galilee is that's where Jesus' followers are from. You know, people like us. When we read this story, the Easter story, particularly when we read it in the present tense, we tend to focus so much on the women's reaction or the strange presence of the angel or any other number of details that we often miss how Jesus is raised only to return to the people who abandoned him. Remember, on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters the city and the crowds go wild. Hosanna, save us, Jesus. The crowds grow. They grow and they grow. The disciples, they're, they're, they're so excited until the cross. And on Friday, they're all gone. Every last follower is gone. Jesus is all alone. And then on Easter, Jesus chooses the unworthy, undeserving, ragtag group of would-be disciples he's been dragging around for three years as the people through whom and with whom he changes the world. On Easter, Jesus returns not to the powers that be, but to people like you and me. On Friday, I came over to here to the church at about 8.30 in the morning. It was Good Friday. And I have a long-standing tradition of taking the church's cross I place it on my shoulder and I carry it around the town wherever I am so that people might see the cross. It's not original to me. I, I was helping a church in Detroit a number of years ago. Beautiful, beautiful church. St Tiffany's stained glass windows with bullet holes in them. They had this massive cross right above the altar. And on the bottom corner, it was all gnarled up like it had fallen in. And so I said to someone there, when did the cross fall from the ceiling? How did it get so broken. They said, oh, no, no, it didn't fall. We take it down every Good Friday. A group of us, we, we take that cross and we drag it through the streets of Detroit that we might remember what we did to God, but more importantly, how God responded to us. And I remember in that moment, I made a promise that every Good Friday, I would take a cross and I would carry it wherever I was. 
So on Friday morning, I came here to the church at about 8.30. I went downstairs, grabbed the cross, put it on my back, and I started walking up and down Grandin Road. You can imagine how strange of a sight it would be. Six foot one, young man, prematurely balding with a nice thick beard, carrying a cross up and down the street. It was a bit strange. I hadn't even really gotten a block away from the church before I started to see people pull out their cell phones and take a video of me walking. Felt like a little bit of a celebrity here in Roanoke. When I was on the other side of the street walking past uh, Raleigh Court Presbyterian, a man pulled up in a pickup truck. He rolled down his window and he said, good job. You know, I love Raleigh Court Presbyterian. Great job. <laughs> I said, I love that church too. Mine happens to be on the other side of the street. It's amazing. Kind of things that happen, the people you encounter when you dare to take the cross out of the church and into the world. I'd been walking for about an hour. I was heading toward Patrick Henry High School, just a few blocks away. I was in my thoughts, kind of caught up in the moment, praying. It was starting to rain. I was thinking about turning back. And uh, on the other uh, side of the sidewalk, running toward me, was a woman. And just as I was lost in my thoughts, she was sort of lost in her thoughts too. She had her headphones in. She was looking on the sidewalk in front of her with every step. We were about 20 feet away from each other. When she looked up, she saw me and the cross, and she froze. She began to weep. And she took her headphones out and started to lurch forward. And I ran as fast as I could with the cross until I got to her and I said, are you okay? And she said, you have no idea. You have no idea. My life is a mess. I've done so many things I shouldn't have done. I feel like I have nothing left. And this morning I prayed that God would give me a sign. And here's the cross. She said, you have no idea how badly I needed to see that cross today to remember that God has love even for someone like me. It was better than any sermon I've ever preached. I said, can I pray with you? And she embraced me, cross and all, both of us weeping in front of Patrick Henry High School on Friday morning. And after I prayed and said amen, she thanked me. She put her headphones back in, still with tears covering her face, though now she had a smile, and she continued to go on her run. Hear the good news. Christ dies for us while we are sinners. Not after we repent of all of our mistakes. Not before we've even had a chance to think of all of our naughty sins we want to commit. But right in the midst of our worst choices. Our biggest mistakes. Christ dies and returns for us. It's at the right time, Scripture says, that Christ mounts the hard wood of the cross for the ungodly people, people like us who can too easily move from Hosanna to crucify. The cross and the empty tomb are these ever-ringing reminders that there is nothing, there is quite literally nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because Christ returns to us. And it's even better because we don't have to do anything for it. That's why there's this great hymn. We don't call it so-so grace or it's okay grace. It's amazing grace. 
Grace is amazing because on Easter, Jesus' response to his followers isn't to berate them or judge them or even damn them. He doesn't give them a list of things to do or programs to start or even prayers to pray. Instead, he comes back to them with, of all things, love and mercy and grace. When you think about it, it's rather odd of God to continue to do this kind of stuff. God is like the shepherd who willingly leaves behind the 99 to search for the one that's lost. God doesn't sit back, kick back, relax, and wait for everything to work itself out. God charges out into the wilderness, beating on all the bushes of life, refusing to quit until the lost are found. God is like a host of a giant party, a party with lots of champagne turned into sparkling grape juice. A king who hosts this party and when not enough people show up, sends all the servants into the street to grab everyone they can find. The last, the least, the lost, the little, and even the dead, just so the party will be packed. God is like a father who runs out into the street, stops his wayward child before an apology can spring forth and says, I'm breaking out all the good stuff tonight. We're going to have fun because you were dead and now you're alive. The work of Jesus, contrary to how we often talk about in the church, how we think about in the church, it's not transactional. It's, it's not, if you do this, I'll do this for you. There's no such thing as if in the gospel. We are not told that the Lord expects us to iron out everything before the promise of Easter. Jesus doesn't wait behind the stone of the tomb until there's enough faith in the world before he breaks free. But we are told instead, in the present tense, is that Jesus is with us and that he is ahead of us. Easter invites us to do nothing more than trust that the good news really is that good. That God in Christ refuses to abandon us no matter how good we are or how bad we are. If Easter is anything less bizarre than that, then it's not the gospel. Easter is a gift. There is nothing we can do to earn it. There is nothing we can do to deserve it. And wonderfully... The promise of Easter keeps showing up in weird and unexpected ways. Sometimes we hear about it in a song. Sometimes we hear about it in a sacrament. Sometimes it shows up in a sermon. And other times we encounter it through a stranger carrying a giant cross in front of a high school in the middle of a run. And whenever we encounter the living God, the promise of Easter, it burns in our hearts until we, like the Marys, can shout and declare with fear and joy, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.